Hello and good welcome to God's Little Hummingbird and welcome to another episode of Reading Through the Bible. So we read a chapter at a time and we are starting in Genesis and working our way towards Revelation. We do use the Hebrew language as a guide and use it to explain some of the concepts and words better. And we read from the New King James Version Bible as it's one of the closest translations that we find out there. So if you don't have the Bible, feel free to go online. You can follow along with Blue Letter Bible or Bible Hub, any of those online versions of the New King James Version Bible, and they are free to you. So without further ado, let's begin. And I do pray, Father God, that you open our eyes, ears, and hearts to your truth and your truth alone. 30, Genesis chapter 32, verse 1. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of Elohim met him. So these are the messengers. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Now I want to point out here, that word in Hebrew is literally double camp. So because he saw God's messengers, Elohim's messengers, he said, this is God's place, God's camp where he is. And the Mahanaim is double camp. Now I want to point out that is very, very prophetic in many ways. So there are two houses of Israel right here, basically, because we have Leah's troop and we have Rachel's troop. And if we progress further into Israel's history and we get over to the Kings and Chronicles and the book of Samuel, where we see that the kingdom was united under Saul, and then divided, and then reunited under King David. David was the chosen king of Israel, and he was a man after God's own heart, after Saul. And he had a son named Solomon, who sinned greatly against Yahweh. And his son, Rehoboam, was the one who bore the punishment for Solomon's sins. And so God, through the prophet, prophesied to this man named Jeroboam that he would receive 10 shares of Israel, but two would be reserved for the house of David. And Levi is in that too, but Levi doesn't have any inheritance in land. So they don't, they weren't actually named as far as um, one of the tribes in that they don't have land, but they are Levi stayed primarily with Judah, but which was the house of David. But what we do know is that also Israelites were in every single tribe because they had to minister to the people. So with that being said, if you, what happened is, so under, after Rehoboam or during Rehoboam's reign, I'm sorry, he lost 10 of the Northern tribes of Israel to the man named Jeroboam, who was an Ephraimite, who was one of Joseph's sons, who was Jacob's son via Rachel. Then we have the other house of Israel who came from, who had, the, I'm sorry, the ruler was from Judah, who came from Jacob's wife, Leah. And as you go through the Bible, if you <laughs> will start looking for that, 
you will always see that God then says Israel and Judah, or sometimes Israel is referred to Ephraim or Jacob. And usually Judah is referred to as Judah or the Jews. Now in Ezekiel, when we get there, we will see very specifically where God says, and I believe it's in chapter 37, he says, the children of Israel and under Judah, I'm sorry, under Judah's reign, yeah, and the children of Israel under Ephraim's reign. So you, there's there's going to be these two houses of Israel forever. And notice in the end days, there's two witnesses. In Zechariah, we see the two olive stands. I'm sorry, the two olive trees. So there's this two witness theory and, and phenomenon that's all through scripture. In Torah, we see that everything must be established by the testimony of two witnesses. We see the father and the son witness to his glory and his deity and, and, and their truth and their goodness. And all of a sudden, Yahweh created these two different sets of people, but all <clears throat> encompassed in Israel. And if you study history further, you're going to see that many, many, many of the northern tribes of Israel went right through Europe and into America. And it was prophesied in the book of Hosea, they would not even know they're God's children, but they would be his ancient children. And, and I <clears throat> venture to say that if many of you so-called, quote, Christians would take a DNA test, many of you would find that you are the seed of Abraham physically, the, the sperm of Abraham, the Zerach, physically, in addition to spiritually, because, of course, to be a true Israelite, you must be born again, and you must accept the Messiah and obey the commandments of God. So right here, this prophecy is huge to understanding the entire rest of the story of the Bible, because even the prophecies of the Messiah say says that he will reunite both houses in his hand. The book of Zechariah talks about it. The book of Hosea talks about it. The book of Ezekiel, particularly if you read chapters 36 and 37, you will notice it's talking about these two houses of Israel. You will also see when you start reading through the Kings and the Chronicles and, and even in Samuel, you're going to notice now that there are two different houses of Israel. And the northern tribes of Israel who were ruled by Ephraim, or they became known as the Israelites, they were carried away captive by the northern army of Assyria, were scattered and have never yet returned to the land. In the prophesied time of their departure was like 3,720 years or something like that. I, I'm not doing the math right now, but it literally was projected, the punishment was projected to end right around the year 2000. And interesting, that's when the two-house movement really started moving. <laughs> That's when Israel started to wake up and coming and come back to Torah. And then, of course, the southern kingdom, who became known as the Jews, they were captured for seven years, 70 years by Babylon and then returned to the land. So as God had said throughout scripture, they're, they offended less than Israel. But then, of course, one time he gets very mad at Judah and says, Israel is offending less. But Ultimately, their punishment, their punishment was less. So that prophecy right here, please highlight that. Please note it and please don't forget it. Because when Jacob says this is the two camps, we must remember those two camps of God <laughs> exist even to this day, the Christians and the Jews. Um, and I would say Ephraimites and the Jews. And not all Christians are Israelites and not all Jews are Jews, right? Because 
we must be born again to be a true Israelite. But that's a really important verse and for understanding the entire rest of the Bible. Verse 3, Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau, thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. <laughs> so Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Okay, if you remember the whole story, Jacob, his name means usurper or to supplant, and he is a little deceiver. He's been a little conniver, and he uh, <laughs> wasn't so good to Esau, correct? So, of course, Esau wanted to kill him at one point, and for good reason, Jacob was afraid here and <clears throat> wondering, like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> is now the time Esau's going to come and kill me, or what's he going to do? But notice what he does. I'm going to continue reading. He does something very odd. And he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies. Again, we have these two groups. Now, notice how he divides them. Just really pay attention. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. Then Jacob, <clears throat> then Jacob said, O Elohim of my father Abraham and Elohim of my father Isaac, Yahweh, who said to me, return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Again, do you hear that? The two parties, the two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So here, Jacob's reminding God of his promises, as though God could forget. But he's reminding him, please remember, you said I'm, my, multi, you know, my descendants are going to be as great as the sand of the sea. Please help me. So he lodged there that night and came and, and, sorry, and took and came to his hand. I'm sorry. Let me start over there. Verse 13. So he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 foals. So he's sending like presents trying to appease him. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants. Every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass over before me and put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one, saying, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong and where are you going? Whose are these in front of you? Then you shall say, They are your servant Jacob's. Is a present sent to my lord Esau, and behold, he also is behind us. So he commanded the second, the third, and all who followed the drove, saying, In this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with a present that goes before me, and afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So basically he's trying to just soften this anger that could be in his heart with presents and bribing him. Verse 21. So the present went on over before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, because remember Benjamin had not yet been born, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. Yaboch. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. So he sent over his family, but he stayed alone. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now everybody knows this man was Yeshua, 
they even capitalize it here in scripture, but he ends up wrestling with Yeshua himself. This is very prophetic. Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. So his hip came out of socket. (laughs) It popped out based on the man touching him. And he said, let me go. So this is Yeshua saying, let me go for the day breaks. But now he said, now this, he is Jacob. I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. Now, do you really think Yeshua didn't know his name? Why would you just start wrestling with some man in the middle of the night? But he's calling it out of him. He wants to just make a point here. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. This is powerful. Powerful. Israel can mean literally prince with God. It can also mean some people suppose to struggle with God. But the question remains for many, many people, because we know that only Israel is saved. When you look at the New Jerusalem, there are only 12 gates, and they're labeled only with the tribes of Israel. The church blasphemously claims that they have replaced the Jews, which I will promise you, I can show you in scripture in Jeremiah 31 through 33. So all those three chapters say very specifically, you cannot cast off his people for all he's done. done, And that the people who say they have been cast off actually blaspheme him. They, they, they um, speak against his truth. And so people say, well, who is Israel? Who is Israel? Because Israel are the promised people. Israel are the ones who overcome with, or who wrestle with God and overcome. Israel are the ones who inherit eternal life. And we're told very specifically in Revelation 12 and 14 that the saints or the, um, the kind, loving, loving kind ones are those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Yeshua. They don't just believe in Jesus and they don't just keep the commands of God. They have both. So remember this right here, because this is what this book is about. This book is about the history and salvation of Israel as a people. Revelations talks about it. Genesis talks about it. The entire book of the Bible, even if you read Peter when he addresses his letter to the 12 tribes scattered abroad, and when you look at James' book to those of the dispersion, because remember I told you the Israelites were dispersed, If you want to be saved, if you are a believer, you join and are grafted into Israel. There's no other way. We must accept Yeshua as our Savior and keep the commandments of God. Because if you don't keep the commandments of God, you're really not born again because you weren't saved from your sin because you're continuing in your sin. And not that you have to be perfect. I don't mean that. I mean that when you do make a mistake, you must confess it as sin and ask for forgiveness and continue to try to overcome. But this chapter is so important because it defines who are these two houses that now the whole rest of the Bible will talk about and who, including the two witnesses, they're symbolic of this. You have Moses and Elijah. There's always two. And now 
we are told who Israel is because Jacob was Jacob, but he became Israel. Why? And if you read in the prophets later, it does talk about this event and it says he wrestled with Elohim and wept and sought his favor. Basically, we see, we're told that Jacob repented of his sin and he broke before God. But it took a lot of wrestling and his hip was his strong place. And God had to displace it so he couldn't walk on his own strength but rely only on God. Because Jacob had been a deceiver. Jacob had been doing things by his own will or what he supposed was his own will, right? We know God's hand was on him, but because he was hard-hearted and his father had been hard-hearted and Rachel, all these people were being hard-hearted, right? And so, Rebecca, I'm sorry. So it caused God to have to work through these imperfect people, but Jacob did not let go. So when you are in sin and God is wrestling with you, He's trying to, he's overcoming you and he's like, this is not okay. And he is trying to pin you down and get it out of you by humbling you, by striking you in your hip. Don't let go of him because that's the place when he can save you. That's when you become Israel. You wrestle with God and overcome. If you don't wrestle with God, I would have to believe that you're probably not an Israelite. Because if you aren't wrestling with God and you haven't overcome your sin, then you, as John kind of says, you must be blind. All of us in some deep crevice of our heart, if, if even if that's the only place, all of us are filled with filth and darkness. And each of us have different struggles. No two person's struggles are the same. Not everybody struggles with deceitfulness as Jacob did. Not everybody struggles with lust as some people do. Not everybody struggles with a quick tongue as I myself sometimes do. All of us have our areas where God has to, because we, sadly, it would be nice if we would just give it up. And some, there have been areas, many areas in my life, and I'm sure yours as well, where the sin was easy to overcome. But there are areas where you end up wrestling with God. And in those moments, what he wants you to do is call on him for salvation and mercy because that is where salvation is. If you felt you were righteous enough and you could save yourself and do all those good deeds and repent of yourself, you've never known God. He will wrestle with you. He will bring you down. He will open your eyes to see and he will humble you. And many, many people during those times of affliction and hardship just run to doctors, turn away from God. They don't seek his face. They don't stop and let him teach them. They don't hang on. They run to Babylon for help, so to speak. But what God wants us to do is confess our sin, weep, and seek his favor. Because that's when he can save us. It is so important that you understand how you become Israel. And these people who aren't ever broken in spirit, I feel sad for them. Because until you know your wretchedness, until you know your filth, and granted, it's funny, it's ironic, because the people who are full of filth will turn and call everybody who's broken, um, they'll call them wicked and prideful. But, but it's weird because it's just the opposite. But that's, that's okay because they're deceived by Satan. You just need to get to that place. Let him win but don't 
let go. And that is how you overcome. You wrestle with God and prevail. Meaning even when you're taken down, even when your sin's exposed, you're like, okay, that's why you came, Lord. I'm holding on to you. Thank you for saving me, but I'm not letting go. You have to bless me now. Help me, help me, help me. And it specifically says later, and I should have looked that up exactly where it's at. I apologize. I did not. But you can look it up. You can even Google it. It'll come up. But he specifically says um, in the scriptures, it says later that he sought his favor and wept. He, he confessed his sin. He knew he had done wrong. That's just beautiful to me and gives me chills. I don't know. I just love it. Verse 29. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And, and he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there, which is interesting, interesting because here's Yeshua wrestling with him and he won't tell him his name. <laughs> but deep down, I think it was because Jacob knew. Because look at the next verse. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, which means I've seen the face of God, or literally face of God, because, because for I have seen God Elohim, face to face. Remember that word Elohim there is plural. Elohim is plural. Face to face and my life is preserved. He knew that was the son of God. He knew it was Yeshua. There's so many scriptures in here, guys, where Yeshua is very much active and involved in the earth before he came as a human. Most people see that now. I I, I don't know that everybody does, but I just want to point it out to you. Yeshua, yes, he came as a human, in the fourth day, but he was here all along. Elohim, he was there creating the world. He was very involved. And nobody sees the face of the Father. Nobody has seen the face of the Father. So we know this is Yeshua, the Son, the part that we can see and interact with. So Jacob realizes, realizes this is God, Elohim himself. 31, just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he because the angel, Yeshua, touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. So as a remembrance of that, of course, they don't eat it. But it's better to do it with understanding why, right? Is because we cannot let go of God in the midst of our struggles. If you're struggling with depression, don't let go. If you're struggling with anger, don't let go. If you're struggling with pride, don't let go. But desperately let him and beg him to humble you and save you. Okay. Love you guys. That was a pretty cool chapter. Um, You have a blessed day and I'll see you next time in Genesis chapter 33.